Welcome, welcome to this week's episode of Flies on the Ball. We'll be talking about Crystal Palace's season. So, thoughts? New manager? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I like it. Quite, quite a lot of changes, actually. Not just new manager, new squad, almost. A lot of changes. New style of play. Um, very new style of play, compared to... I'm, I'm going to be very melodramatic here, compared to what we had to endure for the past four years. I mean, okay, it wasn't that bad wasn't like so bad that it was torture mm. but it was torture um <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was a very pragmatic style of play under Roy Hodgson but it was um like pra- pragmatism can, can only go so far because ultimately you are talking about what is fundamentally an entertainment business and it was not entertaining at all at times it mm. was actually Really dire to watch. Yeah, she made me want to stop watching football altogether. I I, I got into basketball at that time. It was that bad. <laughs> oh wow! But um, but no, really, yeah. Like I was I was very happy for everything that Hodgson had done, but it wasn't. It it got to a point where I wasn't particularly engaged with the football. And then along comes a certain Arsenal legend who shakes everything up and was going to be predicted to be sacked by December which I suppose is fair enough, considering what happened last time with um, Frank de Boer. But it worked, and it worked pretty damn well. The football this time around was actually worth watching. I mean, it did keep... It kept Palace in a fairly stable position. So on the one hand, it was relatively unattractive, uh, boring football. But it, yeah, as James said, it was pragmatic, and it did serve a purpose, and it did service purpose fairly well and given palace given palace's main objective is just survival or at least establishing the club as a premier league club i think you could argue that hodgson's four years helped cement them they didn't go backwards but they didn't go upwards either really it was kind of in the middle he's not taking them down where they would never have been able to get a, a Vieira. well not i say that i say they wouldn't have been able to be where they were now if they hadn't stayed thanks to roy so he kind of did the hard yards. Yeah, I, I think, especially if you give it, look at the wider context of Crystal Palace in the Premier League since they came up in 2013, Palace stayed up, but they had several managers, almost won the season. And what Roy brought was stability. At the cost, as James has said, of attractive football. So finding that balance is probably the next kind of story for Palace, I guess. And you could argue they kind of found it this season. More attractive football under Vieira, still fairly firmly established in the Premier League. Would Vieira have come to Palace had they not had four years of stability under Roy? Would he have seen Palace as too much of a risk were it not for the last few years of Palace basically cementing themselves as a Premier League club? Or is that more down to a myriad of factors? Probably is, of course, with the ownership and prudent investment and so on. I think I, I I I think the fact he went to a club where they'd been playing a set style for so long and uh, needed a, a full overhaul kind of uh, it creates some degree of instability anyway not not in terms of an inst- an unstable club but as in everything's different for the players that are still there uh, it, it's a whole different style of football for the fans for for the the players the manager everything 
So I don't know. I, I don't know if that stability or not not having Roy there would have stopped Vieira going because well, they're so different. I mean, to be fair, Vieira could have theoretically. This is probably not based on any notion of reality. He could have eased in his tran- the transition into his style of football slower than he did. He could have. The squad could have. Well, the Palace squad was basically overhauled in the summer of 2021. Loads went out. Quite a few, play- few new faces came in, with the emphasis on young attacking talent, and at this at, and more uh, a greater ability to control the ball at the back with Anderson and Gay coming in, and a more um, uh, more faith in youth. You could argue more faith in youth, even though Hodgson did put some trust in young players. There's a lot, there were a lot of changes in the squad's identity. Vieira could theoretically have done that at a slower rate, kept the experience and know-how of a squad that's managed to stay in the Premier League and knows how to do it, and eased in slower than he did. But in the summer, it seemed like a massive change and went with almost, yeah, a night today or something like that. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, though, I would also say it's because maybe this is part of the reason he came to Palace in the first place is because I feel like a lot of the players that had been there um, including some of the ones that have been real stalwarts under Hodgson, they always had it in them. They always had the ability to play in a more possession-based attacking style of football. It just didn't happen under Hodgson because of just the circumstances surrounding um, the other, like many of the players at Palace. Like we we had quite a few older players who were on their way out, and so the, it was it was about just and also the immediate fallout of Frank de Boer and um, how all that went. So it was about just. Um, steering a sinking ship in some ways just ensuring that things remained afloat and if that meant implementing a more defensive style of style of football which is what Hodgson did then yeah that that's ultimately what he was going to do and that that was fine and like, I agree with you with the stability thing as well because having to have like basically a manager a season is not a great way to remain in the Premier League that that's ultimately something that will get you relegated so having that level of stability I think is actually it's probably extended Palace's lifespan artificially um, for at least another few years, because at this point, usually we should be relegated. Um, to to be in the Premier League for this long now, coming up to ten years, I think, is completely unprecedented considering Palace's history as a yo-yo club. Um, so, in essence, I feel like Hodgson laid foundations for Vieira to to build upon, and judging by his first season, you know, getting to the FA Cup semi-finals and. Um, a, a respectable was it twelfth place, twelfth place finish. Um, it's been been pretty good, and looking forward to seeing what happens next season. And unbeaten on Manchester in Manchester, sorry. Yes. Taking four four points against Man City, six points against Manchester United. The first double over Manchester United since the early nineties, I think ninety one. Yeah. Maybe even earlier. First, it's, yeah. First so, victory at Sellers Park against Manchester yes, United. Last day of the season, and yeah, that was a. What I found especially impressive was, even though there was a major change in the style of play and a lot of experienced players left, a lot of youth came in, it wasn't reflected in the scorelines. In other words, occasionally under Hodgson, Palace got thumped, usually by City. That hasn't happened this season. I don't think Palace were ever thumped. There's one very good reason for that, though, because... We, for the first time in what feels like a long time, we actually had a rather settled back line. So last season, um, and I, I always I always like to bring this up, is uh, last season among our defenders, um, the only defender who actually had at least thirty appearances or made at least thirty starts was Chaku Kiate, 
who is not even a defender really. He's more of a an out, an out of position out of position defensive midfielder, plays as a centre back. And he was the one who made the most starts for us last season. Our back line was constantly chopped and changed. Um, our primary centre-back pairing of Tompkins and Sacco was barely available because they were made of glass. Um, and even the times when they did come in, there were times where, like, especially Sacco, it just, he just wasn't quite up to it anymore. So then the thing we go and do in the summer is we bring in um, Mark Gerhe and Joachim Anderson, and they actually played and, well, started and played most of the games for us this season alongside two really good fullbacks. And so just having that that stability at the back, I'm not surprised that, yeah, we actually haven't been thumped much. You go from the previous season, was you conceded 66 goals, which is the most since 2011. Mm. Whereas this past season, with 45 conceded, that's the least you've conceded since 2008, I think. Wow. Which is... yeah. I think it's definitely, yeah, as you said, it's partly... Well, yeah, the settled back line. It's also, I suppose, to an extent, uh, reflective of the tactical setup and the style of play. Um, the fact that Palace uh, have a lot more focus on ball retention, playing yeah. out from the back. But then again, loads of teams do that. And under Hodgson, it may have led to survival, but it means that the, the opposition, more often than not, may have more possession than they, but possession than Palace, and then mm. allows them to create further ch- yeah, further chances. But yeah, it's um. Uh, that's that's what has impressed me this season. The fact that there's been a major change in the style of play, but it hasn't come at the cost of embarrassing defeats. I mean, Palace. What did they concede four against Chelsea? One. I think at most. At yeah. most. Oh no, three? no. Actually, I think the worst was three nil. No, or was it against Spurs? I think it might have been there against three nil against Spurs. Three nil against Liverpool Anfield. I think and Chelsea in the first game of the season. Uh, what was the score at Sellers against Chelsea? Uh, that was just one nil. That was a very late goal. Which which I'll get on to. <laughs> but I genuinely can't think of a time where Palace were thrashed this season. No. Occasionally outplayed, that happens, but not thrashed. Which I was especially surprised by because I thought there were so many changes playing out from the back with a new team, a lot of youth. It's a risk. There's a lot of risk. But it was fine there, this season. There is. Where where did they finish the last few seasons under Roy? Oh, someone had this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so he came in yeah. in September 2017. Yeah, so he finished 11th in his first season, then 12th, then 14th, and then 14th again before leaving it to Patrick. Although on that website, it doesn't, like, I forgot about De Boer, Frank De Boer when you mentioned him, he doesn't appear. Well, it means, yeah, the first season was pretty impressive then, considering how we'd lost, we, we didn't win a game until after, I think it was our seven opening games. Yeah, <laughs> and then finish eleventh was pretty decent. Uh, so this is your highest finish since since his second season, then. Yes, since twenty eighteen nineteen. So best in a few years. Yeah. Uh, I think I think I think that says a lot, really. And the thing, but then the really striking thing. Well, okay, I say striking. The really annoying thing, and from my perspective, is um, it could have been even more. If just a couple of things had gone our, had gone our way, I keep saying our and stuff. I know my biases are showing massively, <laughs> but um, there were a number of capitulations. I remember there was a whole set of them, especially at the um the early stages of the season, um, at home against Brighton, away against Arsenal, um, and then like the example we mentioned just just now, um, the late goal from Chelsea, um, which gave them all three points. There were a number of 
very easily winnable games or just very easily salvageable points, which would unfortunately dropped um, due to very late capitulations. And um, you can, I guess, you could put that a bit down to experience, maybe the experience of some of the players. Like ultimately, Gerhi and Anderson is quite a young centre back pairing. The centre backs tend to be among the most venerable members of the squad, in and. Um, so to have quite a young centre-back pairing was always going to be a bit of a risk. Um, you could also put it down to some of the other younger players, like Gallagher, for instance. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just um, it's something to be mindful of going into next season. I, I mean, it's not it's a bit easy for me to be sitting in my chair going, like, don't capitulate in the last minutes of a game. But that is the nature of the game. That is going to happen. Um, it was just the rate at which it happens always felt like it was a bit of a... Um, it just felt more an inherent problem almost. Um, and so the Everton but, game, yeah. Oh god, the Everton game. <laughs> yeah, the Everton game. That I think that was more down to yeah, a mixture of inexperience and the inability to deal with the atmosphere. Yeah, because Everton were Palace were tune up and Everton were awful. That in the last well, yeah. all the season were really Everton were awful. But I think game, yeah, as you said, game management. It's <clears throat> it's easier said than done. You can't just flick a flick a wand and just suddenly the team gets it. Whilst and also game management, they know what to do. Hmm. You can tell them they know what to do, but it's more you need leaders on the pitch, yeah, with experience of knowing how to do it and how to get through a game, get how to get through yeah. tough spots. And this is a young palace side, yeah, which yeah, it was lacking that because I have no doubts of like the leadership qualities of Mark Gurhey in particular, mm. who's the captain for the under 21s, um, the England under 21s. Um, but he is, uh, I mean, he is 21, so <laughs> there you go. But um, and I'm not oh, gonna well for the future. Yeah, for sure. I'm not going to put that against him too much because he's got a tremendous amount of potential to be this good as a centre-back at such a young age. Um, and to have been easily one of our players of the season, um, again, at such a young age. Um, but it's just annoying to talk about stuff like this, considering how we finished 12th and had just a couple of things gone our way, we could actually have been challenging even for Europe. It was It was that close. But that is the nature of that is the nature of the Premier League. There are always things which are very, very close. I think the fact that Wilf Saha wasn't like the obvious candidate for player of the season demonstrates how far the squad as a whole oh, has yeah. come along. Over the last few seasons it was always gonna be well or well, certainly Wilf. But this yeah. this year you've got several contenders throughout the pit throughout the team. But defence midfield, even strike I mean Edouard tailed off for a bit, Benteke I think he's had one of his best seasons at Palace, even though he didn't score lows. He just looks sharper. Mm. And you've got Elise and Eze, young attacking talent. Gallagher, of course, has a superb season. At the back, Mitchell, Anderson, Gay, and Ward's had a good season. Yeah. And Klein looked decent when he came on. The only weak point, and this is something I've heard quite a lot, it was probably Luka yes. Milivojevic. He, he seemed to... The pace of this young side seemed to underline the fact that he was a Hodgson player. And if he did have pace... He didn't have it anymore. Yeah, he seemed to be a kind of like a half a second behind everything. Because like he he it always strikes me as like a real kind of destroyer type defensive midfielder. But then again, so is but say <laughs> he's also that kind of player. And yet, and yet he always seemed to look a bit more settled. He was actually one of the real unsung heroes of this season. I felt Kiate like just playing that sort of role of the destroyer, you know, the midfield enforcer. Uh, Luca being like maybe the weak link, he did seem to be like a Hodgson player in the Vieira team. So when he played, he kind of it was fairly clear that he he wasn't the right player for the system really. 
there was this thing that came up towards the end of the season, um, which happens every season, is people evaluating um, their respective team seasons and like going, you know, who was our player of the season, who was our young player of the season, who was the best signing, stuff like that. But one was the flop of the season. And when I was thinking about that with Palace, uh, it, it was actually very difficult. It was very difficult to think of like who could be considered a flop. I mean, some were saying Edward because he didn't seem to exert himself as much as we were probably hoping he would, like he did at Celtic. But um, I still think like with Edward, he just needs to be given a bit more time and perhaps played more as a centre forward as opposed to as a, another winger. But um, it's also a very different league. To true. The Scottish. Oh yeah, like sc- scoring scoring goals against um, some of the teams in the Premier League is a bit different to Ross County or Motherwell. And Edward, to be fair to him, he looked. He looked like he understood it when he played. He didn't look yeah. clueless when he came on, and no one was booing him. He 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 looked like he was he got it, and he was close. So he clearly he's close to something. He wasn't just on the pitch to fill space. No, he doesn't. He, he didn't look like he was. He had no idea what he was doing. But oddly, him and Benteke were being benched by Mateta, who actually was quite impressive at points in this season. Like I'm not just from a goal scoring perspective. He didn't score too many goals. But he he scored like a few here and there. But the thing that was really great about him was how again he blended really well in just Vieira's style of football, and um, was just basically good at everything else you need a striker to do beyond actually scoring. Yeah, he can hold the ball up really well, which is something Benteke was meant to be doing under Hodgson, but didn't really get it right all the time. Mateta can do that and has good ball control. Yeah, but in terms of like um going going back to that flop of the season thing, I, so when I did really think about it, the thing that I thought with that was it was probably Luca if it was anyone because there were times with we were bringing Luca on the pitch and it would feel like our oh, Christ we're down to ten men because he just doesn't he doesn't seem quite as as much the player as he he probably was in previous seasons where he was our top scorer. Um, he was top scorer for two seasons, a defensive midfielder. Yeah, so he didn't seem quite as much the player as he had been in previous seasons and he seems to be an obvious one who will probably be on the way out if if it's anyone but compared to the rest of the squad there are very few players i would say oh you know we need to replace them as soon as possible most of them i would say no keep them on keep this team together as much as you can hope i don't know someone like newcastle doesn't come in for Eze or something or um liverpool for mitchell or whatever um so keep the team together as much as possible. Hopefully keep it going for another season or two, because let's be honest here, some of these players are not sticking around at Palace for long. Like, if, if Mark Gurhey continues to be as good as he is, and potentially get better, he could really get to, um. well, I mean, he could get back to the levels of Chelsea again, really. He could be playing in Europe again. And um, I know it pains me to say that, but um, let, let's be real here. <laughs> this is probably what's going to happen. Um... And the same with Elise as well. Like Elise again, looking like a really top-tier young talent. Provides a lot of sell-on value, to be fair. All these young yeah. players, more development, more time in the Premier League. If they have to be sold eventually, then... If they keep improving at this rate, Palace will get more money for them eventually. Wan-Bissaka is a good case in point. Developing mm. a right-back, clearly capable, highly capable, at least in defence. In a one-on-one situation, no one's really as good as he is when he's in the defensive position. And Palace sold him for £50 million. Which, yeah, for a right-back in their very first season, like first full Premier League season, is 
is pretty amazing. And there are clubs out there with a lot of money to spend, and there's no guarantee they'll spend it well. The most we can hope for now is a decent cup run and hopefully a European finish. And that that's what I'd like to see the following season is... I mean, the decent cup run this season was great and everything. If we can improve upon that, that's that's great. But it's not something that I'm fully expecting, nor is it is it going to be like the most important measure of our season. I feel like what what really needs to happen next season is um, a genuine push for a European spot because the talent is definitely there. The potential for this team to go or to at least finish top ten is yeah, is definitely. definitely there, and and indeed could have happened. It should have happened this season if it wasn't for stupid results like Everton. And the future looks bright as well with greater investment in the academy, which also means that the squad may be able to just not refuel itself, but be regenerated from within the club. And that means mm. more talent will come through, ideally improve the, the first eleven, and theoretically maybe even be sold in the future, which brings more money in. That money can be pumped back in the academy or bringing in players from outside like Elise and Eze. So Palace's academy has been strong for many years. But the longer Palace stays in the Premier League, the more the parachute money, the more the the broadcasting money, the more the more important that money is, the more money there is, and the more it has an impact on the club's future. So, but the longer you stay in the Premier League, the more money you have to invest, ideally wisely, prudently in the club structure. And it looks like Palace are doing that. There have been a few yeah. other clubs that have been in the Premier League for several years, Burnley, for example, who have just gone down. And there's no guarantee that staying in the Premier League reflects a well-organized, managed club behind the scenes. But no. Palace seem to be with the improved uh, training ground facilities and uh, new youth, uh, yeah, new academy set up and plans yeah. eventually, if they ever happen, for a new main stand. There are attempts to yeah. actually push the club forward. It's all about improving the infrastructure of the club, um, and what that does is, in case it. And it, it will happen eventually. Um, I unfortunately can't remain too optimistic for too long. If it ever does happen that we do get relegated, then at least the infrastructure is in place to ensure, hopefully, a swift return back to the Premier League. Because that's that's part of what what you kind of have to do in order to remain a Premier League club is to raise the drawbridge further by investing all that that sweet sweet dosh because yeah the gap between the premier league and the championship is growing hence the clubs like west brom norwich watford bournemouth fulham who are just becoming yo-yo clubs because they've got the money from the premier yeah. league so they can afford to have a stronger squad than the rest of the championship so they just go up and down it's it's, it's up for it's up more up to chance whether they stay in the premier league but the money definitely guarantees that they've got a chance of staying in the conversation at the top of the championship and just going up and down and up and down. And so if Palace were to go down, they'd probably join that kind of yo-yo effect. They wouldn't stay down unless they were really poorly managed. Has there been a risk of that in recent years, just looking at the finishes and not the actual the quality of their seasons, but the lowest, the lowest being 15th in the last, well, in the last 10 years, nearly 10 years. That was 42 points. It's it's weird looking at, at how drastically things can change points wise because like in when Palace finished eleventh they had forty four points and then this year they finished uh, what was it thirteenth twelfth yeah. with with forty eight which uh, in that year would have got them you know into the top half by some margin. I guess in terms of jeopardy, the last time Palace genuinely looked like they were 
going to or had a chance of going down was under De Boer. Yeah. I think since then, fairly relatively plain sailing. And even under Vieira this year, there's not... Yes, at the beginning of the season, there were questions because everything, so many things were changing, which meant there, were a lot of, there was a lot of uncertainty. But yeah, since the beginning of this recent season, there hasn't been a major question as to whether Palace are in the conversation for going down. Sometimes if Palace were like, I don't know, 14th, 15th, 16th, kind of edging into that <clears throat> that bottom seven or eight, then you might say, oh, maybe they're in the conversation for going down, but they never kept going down. Villa, for example, a lot more money. They were for, for, at one point considered possible candidates, but they weren't, yeah, they, they spent a lot more and they eventually moved back up the table. Don't get me started on Everton and their budget. But under this, this season, Palace were never, I don't, yeah, Palace haven't been, Genuine relegation contenders for a few years, I think. Yeah, they they always look too good this year to be in the mix. They're either teams with worse players or worse management that are looking. They're always looking. They're sort of edging Palace out of that conversation. Palace aren't the worst, or anywhere near the worst at anything really. Can you? I mean, if you look at, I mean, sorry, if if you look at not only clubs that have been relegated a lot over the last few years, but clubs that have been close to being relegated or been in that conversation. Often or more often than not, those teams have have the ability to just fold. Yes, Palace have been thrashed occasionally now and then over the last few years. But how, can you point to a Palace team that was just weak mentally? A team that a Palace team that was spineless, a Palace team that wouldn't kind of fight for it. I can't think of one. At least, even no. even when, yeah, even when Palace were struggling in the first few years up in the Premier League, I don't think there was ever a time when they were weak. Kind of not not. Not necessarily tactically or in terms of a lack of talent, but just mentally kind of brittle. I've never, I don't think Palace have been brittle for a while, which yeah. helps. Which, and that you kind of get that through experience and just getting used to battling at a certain point in the league and getting used to having that kind of mentality of, right, we need to survive, so we need to do this. Let's be pragmatic and practical about it. And yeah, you have the players with the experience and they build up that experience. But you've also got that balance of experience and quality because, I mean, Burnley, before we, before we can talk about Burnley's unappealing football they did have some quality in that team you don't survive in the Premier League for about seven eight years they were in the Premier mm. League for quite a while without having quality so I think Palace's story has been partly defined by a mental strength as well as enough quality to get them through certain games I think the problem with Burnley was was less was less the uh was less a doubt on their players ability and more, and more the fact that they didn't really ever refresh their yeah. squad it was the same players, and whether you have ability or not, eventually that will wane. They didn't back the manager, and then they got rid of the manager. Yeah. Um. With 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 Crystal Palace, so we mentioned their academy. Uh. Do we think that'll get more use over the next? Uh, well, in the next season, because they're bringing in five subs, I think, right? I think you'll probably see more academy uh prospects on the bench. Probably, yeah. You saw yeah. Rex Saki Rex Saki the very last yeah. game of the season or something. I was going to say, yeah. So the, we we've seen like a couple of players. Um. They're making a very, I mean, albeit brief, but still making appearances regardless. So, like, Raksaki is one example who scored a ton of goals um, in the youth system. Uh, another one was um, Adaramola, who um, plays as another another fullback. We've got another another fullback in the works. <laughs> that Ad- Adaramola and Raksaki are both younger than, than the hailed Scott Banks, who I hear so much about, who hasn't made his debut yet. I mean, there's also Ferguson to talk about. He hasn't really featured. There's yeah. a lot of promise around him. Um, but yeah, you meant yeah, good point, Sam. The fact that there are five subs, you probably see a lot more uh, young names. They may not play, but they'll probably be on the bench. Yeah, well, that, well, that's the thing. Especially when you're if you're winning comfortably, or if or if you're losing and you need to change something, youth can often be 
because they're quite untested. You know, if you're winning comfortably, you want to you get them the experience. If you're losing, they might change a game. And Palace are no longer so reliant on Zaha. He used to be the, <laughs> the kind of, basically, don't concede, give him the ball. I mean, that's a very simplified that used version. To be, yeah, that used to be the, the real armchair armchair football analysis of Crystal yeah. Palace is that, well, they got Wilfred Zaha, haven't they? And that, that was about it. That was basically the conversation with Palace. It was always just about... It was always about references to Zaha, which makes sense. I mean, he's a very good player and everything. And this season, he was particularly good. He got 15 goals, which, yeah, is, is his best return in the Premier League, I believe. But he wasn't the only player. <laughs> but this year, the, the attacking talent was so much more obvious. You've got at least, say, Eze, Gallagher. But yeah, Zaha was like, it was the only kind of, well, I get, put, uh, actually put it this way. In the wider fantasy Premier League con- conversations about what Palace player you're going to put on your side, you probably only put Zaha or consider Zaha. Mm. You may only think of him as the the one attacking talent or exciting talent Palace had. He, wrong, rightly or wrongly, he was the only one who was thought about when people thought about when non-Palace fans thought about Palace. I think, but now there's a more there's more there's, there's strength in depth basically. So Palace yeah. don't have to rely on him as much, even though yeah he had a good season. Were we were we, were we wrong to to think that of Zaha before this season? That he was the only consistent source of of fantasy points and such. I mean, in, yeah, from a fantasy football perspective, because I knew all too all too much about these players, invariably I would avoid Palace players, including Zaha himself. So it would annoy me when Zaha did get goals because it'd be like, damn, damn, I should have should have taken advantage of that. Um, but this season it was really different because there were actually more options, and like Gallagher was a was an absolute. Um, absolute fixture for like every fantasy football team it seems because he was cheap and he was getting goals and assists so he was a great option um but then also other great options like mitchell was a a pretty good choice of fantasy football too it was kind of strange actually to have so many palace players (laughs) be like genuinely good options for fantasy football (laughs) but um like in terms of zaha being um in some ways the um that whole thing of like zaha seem like the the only player for Palace in previous seasons. In previous seasons, yes, he was. In previous seasons, he was basically the only attacking spark we had. But the season where we um, but then at the same time, it was always a very limited way of looking at Palace because with Zaha, it was just because he used to play for Manchester United. So most people knew of Wilfred Zaha because he used to play for Manchester United. And then also him being linked to Arsenal um, and every seemingly yeah. every transfer window wanting to move move club, including being linked to Everton. So. Most people just think of, just thought of Palace in reference to, to Wilfred Zaha. But then, at the same time, we did have other attacking players. Like, for instance, the season where we only scored thirty-three goals in the league, um, the top scorer that season was actually Jordan Ayew with nine goals. Palace, sorry, Zaha actually had a really poor return that season. Was that twenty eighteen nineteen? Yeah, twenty eighteen nineteen. So, um, like, it, Zaha has often been. Yeah, he has often been definitely the brightest spark at Palace, but he wasn't always the only spark at Palace, shall we say. And this season, definitely one of the real successes is the fact that when it came to selecting player of the season, he wasn't the obvious choice, which is always is always quite refreshing. Do you think a part of that's down to Vieira or Roy? Did Roy's system rely on Zaha, I guess? Bit of both? I think it was because with... Um, I, f- I think it was just to do with the system that Roy was employing. 
ultimately, because like, the system of football he was employing was a more defensively rigid system, and Zaha actually did work yeah. pretty well in that system. I remember there was this, there was once this um this measure of like the most two two way footballers in all of Europe, and Zaha was actually high up on that list because he was a, a very good attacking player, but he was also contributing a fair bit to, um, contributing a fair bit to Roy's more defensive system. He was actually pretty decent for that, but because ultimately we had players like because I know I was like singing Ayu's praises just then but Ayu I think is actually a good example of a player that is maybe a bit doesn't sit quite as well within this Vieira team compared to some of the other players we've got as options at, at winger or as striker because the, the thing that he was very good at is holding up the ball and basically just um and like conceding fouls and things like that and so basically not not a particularly creative player shall we say a bit more of a i don't want to i don't want to like rag on are you too much but almost like a very negative style <laughs> compared to i get what you oh, mean i get what you mean though because he was i was especially good as you said for kind of holding up the ball and kind of bringing other players into play but that's more yeah. useful when you're kind of trying to develop kind of build up build up possession and do it in this kind of a more slow methodical manner if you're trying to attack at speed, he's not as useful. I mean, he's still fairly good no. and very capable on the ball, but his strengths were definitely in a slower, uh, methodical style of attacking. Because with Hodgson's style of football, what the key idea was to was defensive solidity, and it was to basically just nullify everything your opponent was doing. And Ayu was very good at that. He was very good at get, winning the ball back and keeping hold of the ball. Not in a way, because actually one thing that I remember, which is really irritating about Palace, was it, it seemed like it was a long time before I'd actually seen through balls. You know, just like a simple like creative pass or something, because it wasn't happening. There wasn't players necessarily making runs and trying to exploit, you know, trying to exploit spaces in the final third in order to in order to get goals. Like, I, I wasn't really employed for that purpose. What he was employed more for was basically to run with the ball and concede fouls. That's essentially what he was doing, just to move the ball further up the pitch so that we could exploit an opportunity where we could get a goal and then just sit it out for the rest of the game. You could break up play very easily if the other team had momentum, but on the Vieira, that's not ideal. I mean, it's still useful for game management. But Yeah, he's... yeah, very useful for game management, and I use actually really good at yeah. that, I find. But in terms of that more um, that more high-octane kind of possession-based attacking style of football, RU is not really the sort of player for that. I think, yeah, he definitely worked well under Hodgson, I think. I think under Vieira, he's just he's had another good season because of there's more uh, well the style of play is more conducive to putting him in the right areas around the box and he plays with more young and attacking forward-minded players, which kind of probably helps him uh, again kind of express himself. Maybe is this Ayu or Zaha? Zaha, sorry, I think Zaha has been helped by the style of play and the players around him. And the, yeah, the fact that yeah, there's there's more the onus is more on retaining possession, playing attacking football in a no, more open, fluid manner with speed, pace, and it's more in his wheelhouse, I suppose. I think it's at least a bit praiseworthy that he's not like it would be terrible if he did down tools. If he had down tools after all these years of as you, as you said before, being linked to. Arsenal and other clubs and having come from Man U which would have been seen as a step down at the time um, I, f 
he's we've seen players in similar situations now who've kind of well from the outside it kind of looks like they they feel like their career is getting away from them a bit or then like they're not where they want to be. I mean, in and fairness so to him, you can yeah, see he hasn't, in the yeah. performances. Oh uh, yeah, just like yeah. he's, he's working. Good. Whether he's working for Palace or for his next move or whatever it is, he's still putting in the shift all the time, which is which is what he's paid to do. <laughs> but I think that's respectable. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's definitely wanted to move a few times, but he wouldn't have been able to tell that based on his performances. Yeah. I bet you wish you could tie everyone down to to one of his magic... I don't know what's wrong with his contract, but he's... <laughs> I don't know what it is. This huge sell-on clause. I don't know if that means... I don't know what's going to happen with him in the end but I mean in terms of him in terms of him making a move like if if that does if that is still on the table that it, it might be because he has just come off his as i said he has just come off his best season in the premier league um his best return in the premier league like goals return um so like a move may still be possible though at this point i doubt it would be within the premier league because while he is clearly a very good premier league forward and that has been the case for a number of years if anything, the moment the, the moment where it looked like he might move up to one of the one of the bigger Premier League clubs that is consistently competing in European football, that moment has kind of gone. He is I've, how old is he? He's twenty twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, thirteen. Something like 13, that. Thirteen November. And unfortunately for him, and I say unfortunately because I feel like for his sake, um, he he is a player who should have always been competing in European football. He is that good of a player. I've I've I mean, obviously, I'm going to have a level of bias as a Crystal Palace fan, but because I'm a Crystal Palace fan and because I've had a Crystal Palace season ticket for a number of years, I've had I've been kind of blessed with the opportunity to watch Zaha play consistently, and I know how good a player he is. I know how much he is able to dominate on the on the field when he really wants to. So it always seemed like that he was going to move to a bigger club at some point, and. The fact that he's now come off his best season, goals-wise, suggests that that may still be on the cards. But I just don't think that would be in the Premier League. So I'm assuming if he does make a move, which is always possible, I mean, it seems a bit more unlikely nowadays because he's settled at Palace. He's he's a very popular at Palace, and if he continue, if he sees out the rest of his career at Palace, we'll probably build a statue to him. Oh, definitely. We'll probably name name one of the stands the Wilfred Zaha stand. But if he does want to make a move, then it will probably be in one of the other European leagues. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like Serie A, for example, if he moved to, like, um, I don't know, Inter Milan, since everyone seems to be going there. Would, <laughs> he, survive, would he survive in Italy, actually? Because they, they're more inclined to hack, I think, a player who just dribbles like him. I mean, he gets hacked in the Premier League anyway, but in Italy, would he get any space at all? I was going to say, I mean, I, I was going to say, I was going to say he's, he's one of the most foul players in the Premier League. <laughs> no, no, da- all dives, all dives, all dives. Oh, yeah, sorry. I forgot. Yeah, he, he, he's a prolific diver. <laughs> he's inclined to dive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, I agree. He is a really good player who could be played in a team higher in the league. I'd like to think Zaha is somewhat tied down. This is probably going to be famous last words or something. I'd like to think Zaha is somewhat tied Breaking down. Breaking news! <laughs> Breaking news, Wilfred Zaha to Everton. <laughs> um, I mean, that was that was apparently going to happen at one point, but thank God for that. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like he is a bit some... that he is somewhat more tied down, and 
I also think as well that because of um, Vieira Ball and the the advent of players like um, Eze, Elise, <laughs> and, well, at least this season, Gallagher, but um, I mean, maybe not next season, unfortunately. Um, you know, with the advent of players like that as well, just a, a better style of football overall. Um, yeah, he probably feels more at home as well at Palace because he is actually able to express himself a bit more, as evidenced by the fact that he got 15 goals. <laughs> I think, given and also given his age, is he po- he's possibly on the verge of that that last big contract players get. He's around that age where yeah. I don't think he'd get another one. So no. I'm not sure how long his contract lasts, but yeah. Because his problem is like, um, if there was a moment where it seemed like, yeah, Arsenal were probably going to sign him and that would, that would be an obvious inclusion because he he probably was going to break straight into the first team. I mean, I, I don't know about I don't know what your opinion on that necessarily is, Ben, but there, oh, it did mm. seem like there was a point, especially during Emery, where it looked like Zaha was going to go to Palace. Sorry, he was going to go to Arsenal, and then he was probably going to just break straight into the first team. But now that probably wouldn't happen because other people have come through, and this is always the thing with football: is that if you don't um, if you don't hit your stride at that right moment there's going to be someone else. Um, so like in the case of Nathan Ferguson, for instance, at Palace, like he's been injured for such a time. I guarantee you, mate, you're going to come back and there's going to be someone else. And yeah, and so unfortunately that really is the case with Zaha is that he's hit that age where, yeah, he might be a, a, a solid Premier League player and everything, but there are other players who are just as good as him, if not better, who are who have more potential as well because they're younger. They're younger, and so they have more years ahead of them compared to Zaha, who not as much. I don't know if that was the issue. I don't know how many offers have gone in, have actually gone in for Zaha over the years, but I just check now. It's a twenty-five percent sell-on clause that Man U have. I feel like when it was Arsenal going for him, there wasn't an amount. Like it just wasn't. I don't know what it was. Maybe Palace didn't think it was worth it. Up to a certain price because a quarter of it was going to menu anyway. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much that selling the selling clause is is ruining his has ruined his possible moves in the past. Um, Might have done. You say ruined, but he could have. He could have. Like, there's there's nothing saying he would have. I mean, he probably would have because he's a great player. But there's nothing saying he would have excelled uh, if he'd have gone to Arsenal. Uh, and he certainly probably wouldn't have been as loved as he is at Palace. So I no. suppose it depends on it, it depends on what they personally value, whether it's titles or or um, uh, loyalty, I guess. Yeah, because there, there are always personal factors at play with like um, I mean, like for starters, his period at Manchester United, like he's considered to be this Manchester United flop, but it's a very naive way of looking at it, very narrow-minded way of looking at it, because. When he went, he was like what eighteen. He was very young. He went up there, never having really left, um, left his family behind for that long, and he was on his own. He was on his own, and he was wasn't really um, valued quite as much by the new incoming manager after the last manager had left after twenty five years. Um, so he was dealt a pretty bad hand when he got there, at least. And like in terms of personal factors, and then he comes back down to Palace, and he's with his family again. He's actually started a family of his own as well, 
he's settled in South London um, and is able to play at a club where he is he is the hero. I think it's that that's probably the key thing that keeps him at Palace is the fact that it's his home, right? It's, he's based in South London, and that's where he has lived for much of his life. And he's at, yeah, he's at a club that loves him, and you can't manufacture that. That takes years to develop. And there's no guarantee of that anyway, because fans, of course, prefer local lads, or at least players who pretend that they're local or like to who, who get who deliberately try and accustom themselves to the life and the culture of the club. And being a local lad helps, so he wouldn't get that kind of relationship anywhere else. No. What about next season? What do you see? I'm trying to think of like positions that we need to strengthen. Because Gallagher's going to go, so you'd like a, the kind of midfielder that, as Gallagher does, kind of roams around. Hmm. The pitch. He doesn't go from he from wing to wing and moving around trying to find gaps. His ability to find gaps both in possession and out of possession it reminds me of the two of the two nil winner uh, the Etihad had early in the season. Palace had a back basically had five four one in, essentially, and Gallagher was very effective at blocking out gaps on. I think it was on the right wing where he was playing for most of it, preventing through balls that kind of cut between the lines. His, in general, his Gallagher's ability to just maintain that uh, that constant energy and fine space i think that's going to be the key thing that palace will miss or yeah, the, if, the other yeah. player who kind of does that um james mccarthy yeah. is unfortunately a bit on his way out um because he's um i think he signed a year extension to his contract i believe um but he is like 35 so he is he is um unfortunately on his way out so and that, that's that's another reason really to strengthen that central midfield position because uh, otherwise we're in a situation where we've we're missing well i mean first of all we are going to be missing gallagher but yeah within a season's time and it actually indeed throughout much of because like throughout much of this season MacArthur was actually injured yeah. which usually didn't happen usually he was actually quite a a constant fixture but he was injured for much of this season and um while gallagher did fill in um, a fair bit where you know like fill his shoes a fair bit that we don't have Gallagher next season and we may not even have MacArthur next season either due to injury so the year extension may be maybe for nothing who else do you play there like you've got Will is Will Hughes a centre mid would he play the same area he's not creative as such he's more of a CDM I think I mean, he's fairly good going forward but yeah he's good as a squad player like as a backup he's a good reducer in terms of a starting starting midfielder and Riederwald is Riederwald still played in midfield like when he does when he plays when yeah he's here. he unfortunately I say unfortunately but I, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes I don't actually know how 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 much Vieira rates him seemingly based on his playtime though probably not much um but Riederwald unfortunately yeah doesn't get much of a look-in he may get more of a look-in next season I'm not sure yeah we still don't know who Palace are gonna get if they do get anyone maybe even a centre-back Backup might be useful. I mean, Kelly's leaving. Tompkins yep. is old. So if Anderson or Gay or both got injured, there may be an issue there. So I think maybe a spare yeah. centre-back might be a priority. There's a couple of players that we're apparently interested in. So like I saw like um, Joe Aribo from Rangers is one. Um, another one, of course, though, is a certain Aaron Wambasaka. I don't think he's right for the Palace, actually. Genuinely. No. I mean, he's not very good at attacking, very simply. He's a great defensive right back, an old-fashioned right back. I mean, he is good though. But going forward, is he great for Vieira Ball? I, I think for like a in terms of just a solid long-term right back option, he'd probably be quite decent actually. Um, because I know we've got Klein and Ward, but both of them are on 
the rather old side. So just having a long-term option in that position. I know there's Nathan Ferguson, but he is made of glass. Um, I, I feel like Aaron can actually be... I still refer to him as Aaron. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like Aaron can often be a bit underrated going forwards. Like he, I know he's maybe not a Trent Alexander-Arnold or a Joao Cancelo. Maybe that undermines him, actually. Is, the fact that he's compared to Canseo, yeah. Trent, sorry, Canseo, Trent, and Rhys that, James. That's really what Manchester United want. That, that's sorry. That's what they wanted out of a right back is someone like that, um, like an attacking wing back, essentially. And while Aaron is is great at defending, as you say, yeah, he's he's not that sort of player. But I don't think that should necessarily. I, I don't think that should be forced upon him. I think rather we should be playing playing to his strengths and. For for a team like Palace, who are I know we we have this new like flashy possession based style of football, but ultimately we are going to be more on the back foot. We are the sort of team that is going to be more on the back foot. Whereas Manchester United obviously wanted to be the team more on the front foot, and so to have some somebody like Aaron Wan-Bissaka at right back who excels particularly in one on one situations, it's a useful thing. Are you going to make a habit of this though, Crystal Palace? Um. Give it, giving players to to Man United and then and then taking them back. Well, the habit hasn't started yet, to be fair. No, tw- twice a coincidence, three times a pattern. Is that is that the I rule? I suppose so. <laughs> I mean, it's good if the money comes in, um, but you don't want you no. don't want Man U to ruin them. You know, as they might buy Mitchell next. For next season, I'm not sure where Palace will finish. I don't think maybe there will be a second season syndrome with Vieira Ball. Will more will the opposition, in a general sense, be more understand? Will have yeah, just have a, great, a better idea of how Vieira's team plays and be able to match them. I do. Will they, yeah, will be, I do worry about will that. Gallagher be missed a lot unless someone's brought in. Um, so while it's, I want to be optimistic and say tenth is very possible, or maybe even higher. It's still hard to tell. It's very hard to tell. I I, I would say <clears throat> tenth is. Possible. I th- I don't think they'll collapse. I think they'll trend up. I'm excited to see more of Elise and Eze. Um, yeah. Plus they've got these young players with 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 more with more experience. Yeah. If there's a hole that Gallagher has created and they don't bring someone in theoretically, then it means that those players have more of an opportunity to prove themselves. I'm sorry, James. To I don't want to jinx it, but I'm going ninth, and this may change by the time we come <laughs> to our actual predictions. I was going for champions, yeah. but okay. Yeah, no, I was going to go for first as well, but um, no, no, I, I think like in in terms of predictions, I'd probably say about tenth as well. I feel like we might finally um, return to the top ten as we did in the very first season in the Premier in our very first season in the Premier League. Um, seems seems mad actually that in the first season. We come back to the Premier League. We finish tenth, and then all the seasons since struggle to, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably what I'd say predictions wise. It does depend a fair bit on who we sign in the summer. But um, yeah, I mean, really, the only the only player we're really missing here or losing here is Gallagher. Like the rest of the team is still there. You know, we still got. Decent goalkeeper options in Guaita and Butlands, and are probably going to strengthen there actually, seemingly with Sam Johnston. I've uh, still got you know decent back line, still got a decent set of midfield options as well. Could maybe do with a bit of work in that department, especially with the loss of Gallagher and the continued existence of Luka Milivojevic. Um, <laughs> but um, 
but then and then also yeah decent forward options and hopefully the likes of Eze and Elise um having a bigger impact than they have had in previous seasons um because Elise is more than likely going to start a lot more next season as well and as a last season he was um and unfortunately he didn't actually play for much of the initial part of the season because he was he had this really bad injury um which is a real shame because he did get called up for England and then got injured in training um but then um so yeah like depend it just it depends a fair bit on in what happens in the summer but I still think regardless of that we we probably will have quite a strong next season and could potentially finish 10th thank you for listening to this episode of flies on the ball tune in next week where we talk about Leeds this season Patrick Vera did nothing wrong